next Sunday morning at 9.30, uh, we'll be doing a Sunday school class in the youth room for anybody that attends this service and would like to have an adult Sunday school class to attend. We'll do one combined Sunday school class to start out with. So if you're interested in that, I will be starting us out in that process, but we'd like to have other people teach that as well. And so we want to offer that as an option or alternative to a Sunday school class for now. And so if you're open to that, we'd love to have you, love to have you join us, and we'll dive into that study, Hebrews, uh, by Dr. Irwin. So uh, just be praying for that, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll enjoy that time together. Uh, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3 starting out, so if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles or use the Bible app, you can uh, feel free to do that. Um, we've been enjoying this question series, and I think it's been really good, and I think that today's question is actually five questions uh, that Moses asked God, and I think these are really good questions, and so as we dive in these today, I want us to kind of think about uh, these questions ourselves, because I think we have these questions as well with God, and so the first question we're going to look at is Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, and, the, and this question that I want you to kind of hone in on, or if there's a title of this message, it's who I am, and it says, but Moses said to God, who am I? And I think that's um, a question that we can all ask ourselves, right? We all ask that question, who, who am I? Uh, and I think it's really pertinent as we think about Moses uh, to think about. Sometimes as this mountaintop experience and there's this burning bush and God's presence is there and then Moses comes up this mountainside and he, he encounters God's presence. He's in awe, right? And I'm in awe reading it. And I'm like, it's riveting. It's like, whoa, this is really cool. God's showing up and, and it's really powerful. And I stop and I don't really think much about Moses' side as much as I do about God and, and what's happening with God. But I think it's important for us to take a good look at what Moses is going through during this time, to think about what he's experiencing. In verse 5 in chapter 3, it says this, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Again, this awe-inspiring God has showed up on this mountainside, and he hasn't heard from God in, this, in, in anything like this. God's presence is here. It's a holy place, so he's got to take his sandals off because this is a holy spot because God's presence is in this location. And so he is afraid and scared to look at God, to look at this burning bush because he knows God's presence is there. And so God, you know, Moses hides his face. In verse 7, it says this, The Lord said, I indeed have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And so God understands the plight. And God, this is a really a good thing for all of us, is that God understands our situations. And sometimes we can think the situations we go through in life are meaningless. You know, just like the Hebrew people, why are we in slavery? Why are we dealing with this? We've been doing this for years, hundreds of years. Generations have come and gone, and we've been in slavery. Seems like God is not there. They haven't heard from God for a long time. And so Moses is, is just kind of in that same mindset. I haven't heard from God. And now God's approaching him and interacting with him and calling him out. And so in verse 8 it says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Aramites, the Prezerites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so the first question we're going to look at is this question, who am I? And we see that play out in verse 10 and 11. And so it says, so then now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And so this question of who I am, I think we need to think about this because it's a valid question that Moses is asking. Who am I? You know, who am I? Because as we think about his story, he spent most of his life as an Egyptian. He is of Hebrew descent, but he spends 40 years of his life after that as a Midianite. And Midianites are actually descendants of Abraham too because Midian was the son of Abraham. After Sarah died, he took another wife and had a son named Midian. And so Midianites were travelers. They were wanderers. They would go from place to place. And so Moses became a sheep herder. He became a shepherd. And so interesting because it's almost like, it is, God knows what's going to happen in the future. God's preparing him to be a shepherd, not of sheep, but of people to lead them in the wilderness during those 40 years. So Moses is about 80 years old here, and he's having identity crisis. He doesn't know who he is. Am I an Egyptian? And do I, you know, it's interesting because God has placed him in a place where he has knowledge and wisdom because he's been brought up by the royal family. But he also knows he's of Hebrew descent. And the fact that he tried to, tried to rescue a brother that was a Hebrew, when he saw him being oppressed by a slave driver, he tried to intervene and he actually killed the slave driver. He killed the Egyptian. And then the next day, people found out about it. People talked about it. And there was a dispute between the two Hebrews, and they were fighting, and Moses came in and tried to break it up. Don't fight amongst yourselves, and then what happens? They're like, what are you going to do to us? You're going to kill us too, just like you did the Egyptian? And then all of his identity fell apart, and he took off, and he left. And now he's spending these 40 years as a Midianite, marrying into the family, wandering the area, the wilderness, moving from place to place as this tribe would move from place to place and being a sheep herder. And so, as like all of us, sometimes we can have an identity crisis of knowing who we are. I mean, we live in America and we live in this great melting pot. I don't know where all my family comes from. I think some of them come from uh, England, some of them come from Germany. I don't know. I don't know where all I come from, right? We're a melting pot of cultures. And so, sometimes we can kind of be questioning ourselves and like, who am I? What am I about? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? And we can question God in that way because I think Moses really didn't know who he was when you think about it. He's thinking to himself, am I a royalty? Am I a slave? Am I an outsider or an outcast? Who am I? And I think we've all had those same questions. Am I, am I supposed to be this person? Am I supposed to be that person? You know, junior high school is a great, a great trial period, right? For uh, us as, as, as young people, figuring out who we are, what we're about. It's, it's just like you get ridiculed and you're trying to fit in with the cool crowd or you're trying to fit in with this sports crowd or you're trying to fit in with that crowd. And it's like you're trying to figure out who you are. And we all deal with that problem. And so I want us to think about Moses dealt with this. He was not sure of who he was. And God gives him some reassurance because 
of this statement that he makes to him. He says in, in verse 12, it says, And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have been brought out, uh, the people of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said, Suppose I go and the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And I want to stop right there. I'll finish it off here in just a second. But what does God say about this conundrum of, of Moses feeling like, who am I? God says, I will be with you. See, see, our identity is not found in everything else of our life and our abilities or the things that we've experienced in our past or our background or our heritage or anything like that. Our, our value comes from God himself. Who we are is, is as Christians, it's the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. My identity is in Jesus, not myself. And so no matter what, I may be a, I may be a mixed mutt, right? <laughs> I may be that mixed breed of dog, right? But Jesus sees value in me, and he has a relationship with me. And my identity is not in who I was or who I could be. My identity is found in God. My identity is with Jesus, and it's saying that God says, I will be with you. Your identity is with me. You will be my representation. You will be with me, and I will be with you. So this next question we see here that's laid out for us as I continue reading in verse 13, and they asked me, they asked me, what is your name? Then what shall I tell them? And this is the question that he's asking, question number two of this questions series that he's asking him, asking God, God, who are you? See, I haven't heard from you a long time. We as a people of Israelites, we haven't heard your voice. We haven't spoken to you. We really haven't heard from you. We're just passing on what you've passed on to us through the generations of Abraham and Isaac and Joseph. We've heard those things, but we haven't really had an experience with you for like 400 years. We haven't heard from you. Who are you? And this is God's response in verse 14. God said, I am Mo- said to Moses, I am who I am. And that is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. He continues on in verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This will, is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of, the Israel, of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of Abraham, your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what you has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out, out of your misery into Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezerites, uh, Hivites, and the Jezebites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand 
and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And so God makes the statement, I am who I am. Another other translation, another way to translate that, if you look at the translations, I will become what I choose to become is God, what God is saying. I am what I am. I will be what I will be. I will create whatever I create. I am the existing one. In other words, God says, is, is saying in Egypt, they had all these false gods. They worshiped all these different creatures. They lifted up all these things and made them as gods. And God is saying, I am that I am. I'm the everlasting one. I am the one that creates. My purpose will stand. I am God. He's saying all these other gods are false, but he is God himself. I am who I am. I will be the one, become what I have chosen to become. In other words, his purpose will stand. And there are great passages in Isaiah that talk about that and share that with us, that God can't be changed. God can't be moved. God can't be, you know, altered in any way. He is who he is. So in verse, uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered with this next question. Moses answered, what if, I, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say that the Lord did not appear to you? So Moses is concerned about what's going to happen next. And he's like, what, what's going to happen? How are they going to trust me? How are they going to believe me? And it's interesting because we all have to have some type of belief. But it's interesting how much belief, how much faith we have in life. You know, it's like I, I don't have a lot of money, but I have some money in the bank. And it's there. But I don't have it to show you. I don't have it to, to touch or to feel. I'm trusting and I have faith that I'm believing that that money's going to be there for me whenever I need it. That I can go to the bank and, and get that out if I need to, to pay something or buy something that's valuable to me. But yet I demonstrate faith every day because I don't check my bank account to make sure it's still all there, do you? Do you every day? Maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> You're looking at seeing how much uh, interest you got off. <laughs> But, but most of us, we just faithfully believe. I mean, that's what happened with the Great Depression, right? Is that everybody had a faith in the bank system until that there was a, a, a shortage. And then everybody went to get all their money back out. And then it caused issues, right? Because there was a lack of trust, a lack of faith. And it devastated the economy. See, we demonstrate faith every day. Why is it when it comes to God, it, it's, it's harder to have faith in God when we practice as human beings, we practice faith every single day. We blindly trust things that we're told. We blindly believe things that we see on Facebook or YouTube, right? We don't vouch for it or look at a double thing. We, we just think that that's truth. We gotta be careful. But when it comes to God, we require more from God. We want more evidence. And so this is what God does. He's asking the question. He's, Moses is asking the question, what if they don't believe me? And this is a valid question because we all, we all get scared. We all get afraid that, that somehow we're not going to have the proof to show or, or be able to, to demonstrate what God is doing. And so God, in, in, the, in verse 2 through 9 in chapter 4 of Exodus, he gives them these three things. He says about the staff and the hand and the water. And I'll kind of go over them. I'm not going to read this passage, but I'll just go over them a little bit. 
but these are just things that, that God gives Moses. And it's interesting because Moses has a staff in his hands and he says, God tells him to lay it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And why is that so significant? Because one of the gods that Pharaoh believes in or the Egyptians believe in, and it's a signet on his crown or his headpiece that he wears is a snake. And they believe that that gives them, that that god of the snake of the serpent is what gives them the land and takes care of what they have. And, and that that god is the one that provides for them and gives them good, good prospering use of the land. And so that by this becoming a snake, and we find out later through the story that we're not going to read today, that this snake eats up all the other snakes because God is God, right? And so anytime Moses needs to lay down this staff, it will become a snake, and then he picks it up by its tail, and it returns as a staff to be a symbol that God is with him. And then his hand, he takes his hand, he puts it in his cloak, and he pulls it back out, and it's white with leprosy. Leprosy was one of those diseases that everybody was afraid of back then. It was a death sentence. Your body would actually just, it's like a skin disease that would just tear away at your skin. You would start losing fingertips or body parts as it teared and ate away at your, your body, your skin. And so he was sticking it in one time and pulling it out. It was healed. Next time he'd put it back in and pull it out. It'd be white with leprosy. And so God was giving him this sign to show that God was able to do those things, that even those things that God was in charge of, that God was able to overcome, that God was over authority of those, that, that, that terrible disease that it had plagued so many people. And then the water. He would take a, a, ball, a bowl of water out of the Nile River, pour it on the ground, and it would turn to blood as a sign. And so God says, if they don't believe you with the first one, do the second. If they, don't do the, if they don't believe with the second, do the third. But it makes me think about what evidence do we have? And I think there's things that we have that we have as evidence of God that we need to keep in mind. One is God's power, that God is able to do, you know, not just create a, a staff and make it into a snake, but to just be able to do these miracles that we see that are unexplainable, these things that we can't explain that God does. It's just, it is a miracle and it's a display of God's power. And whether you've seen it personally, you've seen somebody else go through it, or you've seen it in the Bible where you hear these stories of God doing the impossible and God's able to do something with that's just his ability, his power is being displayed. Then I think about the hand, and I think about the leprosy and pulling it out, and I think about the inward change that's happened to me in my life, that I went from being somebody that, that was despising of God and didn't care about God to somebody that loved, and the change that happened inside my heart, the evidence of that change, I am a witness, and you are a witness that have accepted Jesus Christ of what God has done, that inward change in us. I may not be able to pull my hand out and show leprosy, but the evidence is here that God has changed this heart of mine. Be hit with him, and, and he's changed me through his son, Jesus Christ. And then creation. The creation that we see in this world, the things that we see that, that only God can do. And it's amazing. Even mathematics has shown us recently that mathematics have, have, have come out and said, mathematicians have come out and said that there's just impossible with the amount of information that is in a DNA that evolution's impossible. It just can't happen. Mathematically impossible. There's just way too much information that's given to each cell. 
See, creation shows us all the time. And so whether it's water being turned into blood or whether it's the universe and the secrets of the universe, I mean, we don't even fully understand the human mind yet and how it really works or the brain. But God has all these mysteries and all these things he understands, he knows. And we see in creation God's mighty power, his mighty ability to create life that cannot be explained. C.S. Lewis says this, believing things on authority only means believing them because you have been told by them by someone you think is trustworthy. 99% of things you believe are believed on authority. Think about that. 99% of the things that you believe is based on authority because you trust somebody else and what they've said. I believe there is such a place as New York is what he says. I could not prove by abstract reasoning that there is such a place. I believe it because reliable people have told me. The ordinary person believes in the solar system, atoms, and the circulation of the blood on authority because the scientists say so. Every historical statement is believed on authority. None of us has seen the Norman conquest or the defeat of the Spanish Armada, but we believe it happened. And that is so true. So many things in life that I just believe are real. And I believe it because I believe that there are trustworthy people to believe and trust. Hasn't God, through Genesis to Revelation, proven that he's a trustworthy God? See, it all depends on how much we want to believe. Yes, we all want evidence. But is there enough evidence to push us over the edge to trust? I believe in New York City. I've never been there. I see it on TV. I've read books about it. But I've never been there. But I believe in it. Do I believe in a God who's able to do amazing things? Even though I haven't seen him with my own eyes. I've seen the effect. Like Jesus talks about the wind. I've seen his approach. I've seen how he's impacted people and how he's done things. And I believe. Next question. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since. You have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And so this is one of the things that we all deal with. I, I deal with. Lord, I'm, I'm not good enough. Lord, Lord, I can't speak for you. I, I'm not good at this. I'm not eloquent in speech. Uh, for some reason, Moses must have had some type of speech impediment. Um, you know, I, I believe I have a form of dyslexia. I haven't been uh, classified as that, but I have a hard time reading things sometimes. Or if you tell me a, a phone number, I'll jumble the number somehow. But besides that, all of us have things that we could give God to be an excuse of why we can't do something. God is not concerned about your abilities or your, you know, your, all the things that you think that you have as talents. God doesn't care about your talents as much as you do. <laughs> God is more concerned about your availability to him. God wants to use you because he wants to be able to use you to demonstrate his power and his glory and his ability to work in your life. So don't give God excuses of why you can't do something because God's not concerned about what you have that you can offer, you can't offer. 
God's concerned about your openness to being led by him. Because God can overcome any disability that you have. Anything that you think you lack, God can overcome. And this is why we see God kind of a little bit frustrated with this question. And it's not to be mean. It's just that sometimes we go with God and we give God excuses of why we can't do something because we're looking at us. We're looking at us and thinking we have to do this. And it's not about us. Believe me, I didn't want to become a pastor. <laughs> and I'm thankful I am, but I wanted, to, I wanted to become rich. I wanted to become a businessman. That's all I kind of wanted to do with my life. Because I was poor growing up and I wanted money. <laughs> and I thought that was my answer. But God called me to this. And God's calling you to do things for him just as well. And so many times we worry about what we have and we're like, God, I don't have anything to offer. That's why the little drummer boy song is such a great song for me. Because the little drummer boy in that song, even though it's a fictional song, the basic premise of the story is this boy, he's just doesn't have any gift to give. All he has is his drum. And he's saying, I'll give you my drum. I'll play for you. And that's the heart of what we all should have, is just to give what we have and let God take care of the rest. Let God take what you think you lack, what you think you think you can't do, and take it and use it for his glory. Because it's about him, it's not about us. It's not about me and you, it's about him, right? Because he is the one that can bring people close to him. He's the one that can save. He is the mighty fortress. He is the rescuer. He is the Messiah through his son, Jesus Christ. And so many times we look inside of us and think of our disability or why we can't do something, and we don't forget to look at God and see what God can do, that God's bigger than us. God's able to do more than what we think we can do. And this is why he gets such a stern, stern, stern warning. In verse 11, it says, The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouth? Who, gave, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. See, God knew who he was choosing. It wasn't like he just picked out somebody random. He knew Moses had a speech impediment. He knew Moses had a weakness. But as the Bible teaches us, as, as Paul talks about, when are we are weak, God shines more. When we are weak, God shows up with his strength because he is God, because he's the one that makes human beings mouths. He's the one that makes the deaf and the mute. He's the one that makes the sight, gives sight or gives, uh, makes them blind. He's the one that's able to do these things, not us. I think about this. Uh, Josh Billings said this statement. I think it's really kind of an interesting thought. It says, consider the postage stamp. Its useful, usefulness consists in the ability to stick to one thing till it gets there. I thought that was kind of interesting. And that's that should be our heart, right? Our heart should be to stick with Jesus till we get to heaven, right? I'm not going to rely on my own ability or on my own strengths. I'm going to rely on his ability and his power, and I'm going to stick to Jesus. I'm going to stick to God because he's the one that is going to get me there. Next question that Moses asks. As we get ready to wrap this up, I I think this is our fifth question. So in verse 13, it says, But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. 
Lord, can you send somebody else? How many of us have asked that question of God? Lord, could you just send somebody else? Lord, just I, I don't want to be the one to do this. I don't want to be the one that, that go through this experience. And I, I don't want to do that. And so many of us in our life, we, we give God the excuse that I can't do it. And, and God, please summon somebody else. And a lot of times we'll, we'll look for somebody else to, to do something for us because we feel God compelling us to do something, but we're looking for somebody else to help us out. And that's not a bad thing, but a lot of times we want to we wanna find somebody else to do it for us instead of us really doing it, right? Like, well, I'll go get somebody that's an expert in that field before I talk to you about Jesus. I'm not ready to lead you to the plan of salvation yet because I'm not an expert in that. I need to go find somebody else. Well, that's not, that's not what God is wanting you to do. God wants you to use your knowledge that he's given you, and he wants you to rely upon him to lead somebody else to Christ. And yeah, like I said, it's not bad to get help, but don't give God the excuse that you can't do it. Moses was given God all these excuses of why he couldn't. And why didn't? And he's still holding on. I think this is verse 14. We see that he's still holding on to the fact that, that you know, I can't, I can't let this go. You know, God, God knew that, that Moses was holding on to the fact that he couldn't speak well. Verse 14, it says, The Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put your words in his mouth, and I will keep you both. I will help you bo- both of you speak and will teach you what to, to do. Verse 16, he will speak to you, to the people for you, and it will be as if you were his, your mouth and as if God, you're, you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you may perform the signs and wonders with it. And so what's interesting is that God, really, it really bothered God. God kind of got upset with him with this because, God, you know, Moses was trying to deviate from this. And I've been there too. I've been like, God, I don't want to do this. Just send somebody else to do it. Why can't you choose somebody else? But God, again, wants us to trust him. He wants us to be open to the fact of him using you to make a difference in somebody else's life. And we're called to make a difference and, and, and do something with this life, to, to invest in others, to encourage others to come to Christ. That's why we're here. You know, you ever thought about that? Why, why, why doesn't God just, if I accept Christ, why can't I just go to heaven? It's because we are the witnesses. We are the proof that God exists. We are the ones that are supposed to tell people about Jesus and the difference he's made in our life. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yeah, God could send somebody else, but God wants to use you where he's planted you. See, there's only so many people I can reach. There's only so many people you can reach. And God's put you in a place where you can minister to the people that you're around. Whether you're a police officer, whether you're a farmer, whether you, you, know, you work at a plant, God has placed you in a place where you could show and reveal people about who God is. But the interesting thing here is that God doesn't always call us to go alone. And, and if you need somebody, God is willing to send people to help you and help you with that journey. And so he sends his brother Aaron and to be that spokesperson for him. And I, I think about that because maybe Moses missed a blessing, but also it's good that God is using him and allowing him to be a blessing to other people by allowing Aaron to step up. 
What excuses are you giving God today? Do you know who you are and are you trying to, to find your identity in other things when it needs to be come directly from Jesus Christ? Are you giving God the excuse that you don't have the ability, that you can't do something? Are you asking God to send somebody else? And as I think about it, are you, do you really know who God is? Do you really understand what God is able to do? And do you understand that faith only is a requirement to a certain point? In other words, your, your evidence only has to meet such a requirement for you to trust something. As we close this message, maybe God's calling you to do something in your life. And you're giving God all the excuses, just like Moses. All the reasons why you can't do it. All the reasons why you don't have the time to do it. All the reasons why it'd be so much better for somebody else. But see, God knew what he was doing. As I think about it, it's just, it's just amazing as you think about that God is knowing all the time Moses' story and the reason why he had to be educated so he could write the book of uh, Genesis, write the book of Exodus, all the other books. He had to have him equipped to be a leader. And so that's the reason why he was raised by Egyptians too. But yet he had to have that Hebrew descent because God was going to choose one of his own to lead the people out. God knew that he was not going to find the right time as a young person in his 40s. He thought he was going to do it. He thought he was going to be the man and then had to turn tail and run. And those 40 years were moments of teaching to prepare him to become a shepherd, to lead a flock of hundreds of thousands of people leading them out of Egypt. God was building up Egypt so that it would be strong and powerful as a nation and allowing them to do what they wanted to do and, and building up income and building up wealth and what is happening when they leave. The Israelites are taking all the wealth. Women are just in, and families are just giving them whatever they ask for because of the fear they have for their God. And this statement is not just made for the nation of the Egyptians. It's not just for the Israelites. The whole world hears about this story, about the plagues, about everything that takes place because God's in charge. And so no matter how bleak or how a moment in time you feel like God's forsaken you or you feel like you haven't heard from God for 10 years or 20 years, it doesn't mean that God is still not faithful because he is in charge. And no matter what kingdom comes and goes, he is still God. We're going to move into a time of communion here. I'm going to pray for us. And Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the love that you show us. I thank you that you are such an amazing God. You are I am that I am. Your purpose will stand. You are the everlasting one. So God, we thank you for being there for us. And Lord, no matter what questions we have, you have a reason and you have a purpose so that people will take notice of you because you're the one that provides rescue. You're the one that provides salvation. Lord, so many people need to know you. Lord, I think about 
how we give excuses to you, the reasons why we shouldn't be the one. But Lord, you're looking for people that are willing. Willing to let go of their disability, let go of their identity crisis, let go of the fact of belief and the doubts that they have to put their trust in you, to be willing to be open, to be used by you. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us, Lord, to not deny your name, but accept you as Lord and Savior and let our light shine for you. Thank you for this time and be with us during this communion time. In your wonderful name I pray, Jesus, amen.